Hey, it's Greg Brady. Thanks for checking out the Toronto Today podcast. Here we are Friday, heading into the last weekend of summer and heading into the last weekend before our federal election. So we talk about that out of the gate on Toronto Today uh, and get some of your phone calls about the importance of the federal election. Hasn't the last 18 months demonstrated that sure it matters? Sure it matters who the prime minister is. And most of us will go vote. But it's in the province where the education of our kids and the health care of all of us, including our seniors and our kids, matters a little bit more. Our freedoms, our restrictions, they come and they go. They come and they go. The provincial election seems a more important election than the federal one. And maybe a lot of us have just realized this in the last two years. Just maybe. We'll talk to Ryan Imgren, biostatistician, about some of the latest COVID trends. And he emphasizes things that school boards and unions could have been doing better and the things we're not doing well when it comes to schools. Bruce Arthur, one of our favorites from the Toronto Star, will talk about where we're at compared to Alberta and why he wrote a scathing column about Haldeman Norfolk putting in Dr. Neil Strauss as their acting medical officer of health. Uh, we will talk to Shay Ganim as well from Alberta, who hosts on Calgary and Edmonton's chorus radio stations about the reaction out there. We'll read the room and the temperature of the landscape in Alberta, where they're facing restrictions they never expected to have happen after they opened up in the summer. But it's happening. And what happened when with Dave Bradley? We'll touch on this day in history, some of the quirky, some of the important, some of the reminiscing that we'll do there as well. It's all coming up on Toronto Today. When you think about voting in the provincial election, and the federal election, to me growing up, who was premier was not as big a deal as who was prime minister because your prime minister would be on the world stage. There was a lot more coverage of things of a Nash at a national level, right? You, we'd grow up watching the national with Nolton Nash, with Peter Mansbridge. If you're watching global, you're watching Peter Truman and Peter Kent and uh, the guests we had on last week, the excellent Kevin Newman. So you'd watch these anchors as we do right now with Alan and Farah. And you say to yourself, give me the national perspective. But I bet you in the last 18 months, your opinion has changed. And I want to test the waters to see if they have. This is really simple today. On text at 289-975-1640, 289-975-1640, or call me 416-870-6400. The more important election in your life. Which is it? Now, 100% won't say provincially but I'm betting a high percentage do, and maybe more, maybe more than you would have said two years ago. You care about Canada's perspective on the world stage. I do. I always have. Uh, you care about how Canada is viewed internationally when you travel. Of course you do. You know what they do, and it's a, probably an unfair characteristic about Americans this, Americans that. I played a clip earlier today of uh, epidemiologist Monica Gandhi, who notes we're like 50 different countries down here with COVID. And they are. Do you think there's any comparison between the policies and vaccine uptake and the health and the hospital system and the healthcare in Connecticut compared to Florida, Maryland compared to Texas? Yes, even Michigan compared to, I don't know, Utah. There's no comparison. You'd never, outside of the stars and stripes, okay, you'd never recognize similarities. Because of vaccine uptake. They don't take it as much as we do. There's tens of thousands of adults in their major cities unvaccinated, moving around, being mobile. And yes, working in healthcare and teaching and working in retail and working in restaurants and working in bars and on and on. It tells me that provincial policy is more important than federal policy. And who we have as premier and health minister and education minister matters 
all the more now, 18 months later, than who the prime minister is, than who the minister of finance is federally. I mean, you have to believe that, right? Tell me I'm right or tell me I'm wrong. 416-870-6400. That's 416-870-6400. Just because of the jurisdiction. It matters a ton. And so many people have seen the light on this in the last 18 months. Look, I care about Monday's election results, but I think it's more about a feel than practicality. And feelings matter. Okay. Confidence matters. Emotion matters. Um, being scared matters, being brave matters. We've dealt with this through the whole pandemic. We keep it together in our household because of our kids. Parents that are fraying, parents that are irrational, parents that are, it's going to impact your kids. Your kids see it. They're sponges at a certain point. That's why they start swearing in the backseat when you swear in the car, (laughs) when you cut somebody off and when somebody cuts you off in traffic and they're four years old, they hear that F-bomb. When they say it a month later, don't blame them, blame yourself. You laid it out there. Of course, you should be allowed to swear as an adult. Um, you should be allowed to swear on this show, but you can't have everything in life. 416-870-6400. Has it been a learning process to the point where you're like, Brady, I get it. The provincial vote matters so much more. Maybe twice as much. Maybe four times as much. They control your health care. They control your education. They control your freedoms. I mean, these are just patently obvious things that we've learned in the last 18 months. And I'd like to think that in the next 18 months, we'll make decisions and we'll move forward and we'll have progress that make it more important for people to be qualified for these positions. You've heard me say before, can we get somebody with a medical background to be the health minister, not just someone who's spent time in hospitals? Can we make certain that the education minister Uh, went to, I don't know, public school in the province that he or she is going to be education minister in. There were some wins for education last year. And I, I, let me say this as well. Some of the um, pushing back and some of the personal attacks against Stephen Lecce, some of the personal attacks against Doug Ford, Christine Elliott, you name it, you name your cabinet minister are patently wrong. They're patently unfair. This should not be personal. This should be about policy, plain and simple. So threats and insults, I don't have time for it. I I don't have time for it. I sure don't have time for it in this show. I don't have time for it when the show ends. It's disgusting. We got to raise the level here of civility and discussion and debate. If If I can be one little beacon on that, great. I'm happy to. But the bottom line is we've realized the federal government matters. But man, your provincial government matters a ton more than you might have thought 18 months ago. Agree or disagree? Don and Georgina, uh, you're on Global News Radio 640 Toronto on Toronto Today. Don, thanks for the call. You go ahead. Hey, Greg, good morning. Um, I, I, first of all, i got to say, uh, you're beginning to convert me as a fan, so uh, congratulations <laughs> on the new show. Um, I, I hate to ask where you were a couple weeks ago, but conversion is okay. I appreciate it. No, no, no. I've, 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 uh, <laughs> I was a real fan of your predecessor, okay. and uh, I've grown to become a fan of yours, so uh, fair enough. I appreciate anyway, that greatly. Thank you. That's the best news I've heard all morning. I appreciate it. Moving moving on, I uh, I think I've got a new appreciation for for how important provincial politics is. It's, it's kind of brought it right into focus on how directly it affects. Don, I think we lost you, and uh, and it was nothing to do with me. I I thought you should have been a little kinder to me. You were very nasty in that early part of it. 
Thanks for the phone call, Don. I appreciate it. Uh, Michael in Woodbridge, you're on uh, Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Go ahead, Michael. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for placing it's it. Also, almost a bit uh, embarrassing that we're kind of having these insights now. Yeah. Because in civic courses in, in high school, the Constitution should be taught. Uh, most of the things that impact our lives are provincially governed. Section 91 or 92, I really don't remember now. Um, aside from things like intra-provincial trade, carbon taxes, those kinds of things. Um, but most of the things that are going on in our lives are 100% provincially mandated. Yeah. And I, I think, don't you think most people around you, your neighbors, your friends, your colleagues have all realized this? So any kind of apathy about a provincial vote, like that's vanished. That's vanished. Like we're all going to vote. I, let me move on, Michael, and grab one more call, but I appreciate the phone call. Look, the likelihood is this. We're going to end up with a liberal minority government after Monday night. I mean, that's the likelihood right now. You know it and I know it. Um, it doesn't mean there isn't drama. It doesn't mean there's not really interesting stuff about who wins what seat and some of the numbers and the popular vote. But that's basically what's going to happen. And we're going to throw our arms up in the air and go, geez, we're doing this again in two years. Plain and simple. The provincial government next year to decide what happens if we're in an endemic phase. And I expect we will be of uh, of, of COVID-19. Pretty pretty freaking important wouldn't you say rock you you live here you know rob in richmond hill i gotta move quick but i want to get you in thanks for the call no problem but listen i look at it like this I, I i think both levels of government are equally important the federal government can impose on the province what it feels necessary that impacts my life so while yes provincially um, i'm very focused on who i vote for and 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 whatnot because they have the most effect on my day-to-day -day life the federal government, however, can in enact things like the, like the carbon tax that affects me on a provincial level and what I'm paying for fuel and, and to heat my home. So That's right, yeah. Just, just looking at things uh, from, from one side isn't really a relevant point. You have to look at things on a broad spectrum when it comes to life. You can't just look at the end of your nose and expect to be able to walk all the way from home to work. No, you're right. You're right about that. And thanks for the phone call. I, I think looking out for number one, uh, what, what this pandemic has done, don't apologize for it. Do not. Do not apologize for where you live, what your circumstances are, how hard you work to get there. Everybody's grabbing for something in this pandemic. Everyone is. You know it and I know it. Okay. And some of it's righteous and some of it's fair and some of it needs to get corrected. But don't apologize for looking out for your family. Don't apologize for breaking a rule here and there uh, and living your life and, and giving yourself some of that freedom. I mean, if you were able to sneak onto a tennis court during the five weeks they were closed, don't apologize for stuff like that. Not in a million years. All right. So I'm a big fan. I, I try and look at these uh, epidemiologists in the States, see what they're doing, see if what they do will sort of leak over the border in terms of perspective. And there's a lot more talk in the U.S. right now about natural immunity. I know, I know. Take it easy. If we were talking about this a year ago, that sounds a little more uh, off the rails, off the edge. But here's what's happened. COVID has so spread through the population, especially in certain states, that doctors, and this is happening in a lot of Western European countries as well, doctors are saying to their patients, you have you recovered from covid right one shot of the vaccine is more than enough for you it is the one ethical problem i have with the vaccine passport should you get vaccinated anyway yes 100 times over yes but they are some people are getting medical advice based on an acquired immunity not necessarily a natural immunity which still gets debated still gets discussed i understand why politicians and public health officials can't talk about it nobody wants to say hey there's a certain percentage of this population that's not going to have a bad outcome from COVID because of their age, because of their youth, because 
because of no comorbidities. You can't do that. I know that you can't do that. But what you can do is talk about the fact that you can acquire immunity for at least six months. Dr. Isaac Bogus said exactly the same thing on the show last week. Here's Monica Gandhi on a recent podcast talking about the fact that the U.S. has had such again, poor protection in some of these states that it's not going to get to herd immunity per se, not with Delta, but it is a consideration for those who are getting vaccinated right now. I do think that fundamentally it is going to infect a lot of people. It is extremely transmissible and it's only acceptable for that to happen when there are high rates of vaccination. Otherwise, it will do it through suffering. Um, And so when I look at the United States, there's sort of 50 different countries here and there are places where we had a lot of cases because Delta is very transmissible but the hospitalization rate stayed low. My my state of California is one of them. Um, Mm -hmm. And then there were places, other states where the vaccination rates were low, cases surge and hospitalizations went right up with them. Um, That will actually cause natural immunity in those regions and, and you can already see in the south that cases are starting to come down. Nothing to do with masks, nothing to do with social distancing. None of that got instituted. It all had to do with natural immunity. Yeah, that's starting to happen in more places. Again, is that a reason uh, to, to not risk mitigate? No. Is that a reason not to get vaccinated? No. But it's not being acknowledged here by government officials or, or public health officials who just keep saying, get vaccinated, get vaccinated, get vaccinated. As we talked about a couple of days ago, there's no off-ramp uh, when it comes to the vaccinations. Ryan Imgrin's our friend, biostatistician, uh, joins us right now. When you hear that clip, Ryan, you, you've you've drilled so deep in it, not just the data, you've been brilliant about it and a great follow on Twitter for that, but the concept of who needs the vaccine more than others. What's your perspective on those that have recovered from COVID, uh, did not end up suffering any sort of bad outcome, and they're getting advice saying one shot of vaccine is is maybe more than enough for you? Well, it's interesting because, I mean, with a really good vaccine passport system, you have access to not just medical records, but you also have access to testing results as well. And really, you know, there could be, you know, sort of a central app that almost links these two things together. So you can easily find out if someone has received, you know, um, a positive result in the last 90 days to six months, and then you could vaccinate them accordingly. And I think this is super important as well going forth, but we're going to be talking about mm. booster shots, because if someone has been vaccinated twice, and then let's say gets a breakthrough infection in the next few months, giving them a booster shot makes absolutely no sense. No sense. So I think in the, in the long run, it's definitely something which we need to start to be looking at is when someone has been in, infected as well because it does provide immunity i know i'm a big celine gounder fan i know you know exactly who she is and and how on point she's been about all this she said this about israel whereas we looked at israel as inspirational they got out in front of the vaccines but they they vaccinated too quickly they were giving people second doses after three or four weeks that immunity wanes and now as she put it they're like a dog chasing their tail thinking about four shots fifth shots six shots and not not acknowledging i suppose um the, the the length of time needed between shots and the endemic nature of probably what we're dealing with from now on. Yeah, and that's exactly right. I mean, they're almost sitting at 1,000 weekly cases per 100,000 people, which means that one out of 100 people is getting infected almost weekly. That is some of the highest COVID transmission that we have ever seen in this whole entire pandemic. 
Ryan Ingrid's our guest biostatistician. I know you picked up the note, um, and and this was a text from a listener, uh, actually rather a teacher in the Catholic board here in Toronto, who said there's a memo that's gone out saying kids. I told my wife this: kids can't bring their own balls to school, basketball, uh, baseball. The, the, the school will provide their own, and as if they're sanitizing them. Ryan, like like honestly, the schools, the boards, whoever this is. This is this is 18 months ago science uh, and, and a lack of knowledge uh, about it. We got to be better than this. This is this is caveman type stuff to be doing this to kids and, and, and making parents confused about this. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy. I mean, this um, reliance on fomite transmission, thinking that we can get COVID-19 from a surface and then. Secondly, allowing schools to make public health decisions. That's one of the scariest things to me when we have really you know, strong public health units, which can make suggestions, we see these things happening. And what is really odd here is that we may see the Toronto Catholic board doing it, but do we see the actual public board doing it? Well, from what I've heard, no. So why is one board doing it and the other board is not? They're <laughs> not getting advice from public health. They're making their own public health decisions 18 months into a pandemic. All of these things, these, you know, like policies school boards are implementing need to be looked over by public health. And I really honestly think we need, you know, some, um, you know, the government like body that really makes these school restrictions very, very clearly. A, you know, mm -hmm. five-page document is not going to work. It needs to be a really, really big 150-page document. Here's how you need to deal with every single situation because once you start to meddle, we have kids not being able to bring like basketballs to school. I'll say this, having a provincial government that won't acknowledge uh, the airborne nature of the virus and that also, oh, by the way, is essentially hiding in an underground lair right now waiting for the federal election, uh, federal election to end ain't ideal. So they've got their own, their hands are all over this, okay? No question about it. But um, you know how pro-teacher I am. I push back on the union heads in June. You know this. It enraged me. It enraged other teachers when they said, oh, the vaccine, that's a private health matter, and we really shouldn't be stepping ridiculous and the school boards themselves i asked you the other day and i want you to lay it out for the listeners people say you leave the school boards alone what are they supposed to do well you got a long laundry list of things that they didn't do that they easily could have the last two and a half months yeah and i mean especially even when it comes to like vaccines there's a lot that they should be doing and it's interesting because when they wanted to find out if vaccinated teachers were actually vaccinated or not, they have to go into a like database, they have to upload their vaccine certificates, they have to do all this stuff to prove that they are vaccinated. Fantastic. But what about the unvaccinated teachers? Well, they're like, we're going to give you testing kits, you've got to self test and then just attest that you got these tests done. You don't have to send a photo in or do anything else. And that really, really worries me. And they knew this was coming. You can set up systems to get this stuff done. But here we are, we're, we're scrambling. We're a few weeks into the school year and we could really use that testing program. I think as it stands now, we've had 70 staff members enter schools with positive cases of COVID-19. If we were testing, we definitely would have stopped some of those cases. 
And I see this news story last night as I'm putting the show together from Cobb County, Georgia, Georgia. Okay, nice place to visit. You may not necessarily want to follow public health guidelines there, but guess what? They're doing test and stay for their elementary and high schools. What's that mean? It means that, you know, if if uh, if if there's a positive test and you're identified as a close contact or you remain asymptomatic, you take a rapid antigen test, you test negative, you can go to school. That's that's what we need here, Ryan. We're closing schools prematurely. We're not giving cohorts access to these tests. For example, my grade 10 fully vaccinated, healthy kid with no comorbidities. Um, if he has a if he has a case in his class, I'm panicked. They're sending him home for 14 days because we don't have programs like this. Yeah, I mean, well, you could make the argument that with you know schools, we shouldn't be testing every student at every school two times a week. When it comes down to now, there's schools in Ontario. We have three schools in Ontario that have more than three percent of their population with COVID-19. So they get that three out of uh, hundred students have. COVID-19 at three schools in Ontario. That is a situation where we absolutely need to be testing the whole entire school population. Why would we not do it in that situation mm. alone? That's like completely ignorant. I know that um, you were on a couple of weeks ago with me, and this is before Dr. Davila um, decided that the TDSB should pause their recreational activities. All I've made the case for, and, and then you read um, you know, stories about fully vaccinated 16-year-olds. They want to run cross-country. They want to play soccer. They've been outdoors all summer. And you know, and I know, you're a parent, I'm a parent. Tons of parents listening. Sleepovers have been happening. Kids have gone to camp. Kids have gone to indoor restaurants. Kids are back in gyms. So, look, there's there's only so much you can prevent now, and we got to think about kids' mental health. Can I make the case? And I asked you about recreational activities a couple weeks ago. Can I make the case that there are still so many places where we should be outdoors as much as possible? If you if you have to have your chess club meeting outside, do it. If you have to have your environmental protection high school club outside, do it do this in the next two months i get that volleyball basketball big assemblies lots of choir practice there's lots of problematic things that are that are a problem inside right now can i make the case that outdoor because of how safe it is that what dr davila did is is just too heavy-handed and overly cautious yeah i mean like i'll be honest i'd even go one step further i you know think yes we should be forcing um a lot of activities which are able to be run outside to be outside but i also think we are able to run indoor activities safely i mean like i like to talk the talk and also walk the walk my son this fall will be playing basketball Mm -hmm. for the ontario basketball association and one of the reasons for that is that they mandated that all participants and all people watching have to be fully vaccinated and there's ways that that you can make sports that you can make activities safe even indoor activities but if you're not able to like take that extra step to get people tested and get people vaccinated, then yeah, have the activity outside. Having these activities canceled um, is just another one of the really, really big mistakes we made. And it's something as well, which we're seeing not every school board has done. So once again, they are like, getting advice from the local public health unit level. We're not following advice mm-hmm. from the like, provincial level. We're making our own decisions once again wrong yeah uh thanks for calling it out thanks for being honest thanks for having that integrity ryan imgrin our guest uh thanks for joining me i'll talk to you very soon 
See you. Take care. Very happy to have our next guest on. He uh, is a columnist for the Toronto Star. He's probably like me. He remembers the show. We're generationally similar. Bruce Arthur, you remember the show Doogie Howser, MD. I mean, he goes to medical school at age 10. He finishes 14 years later. He's the youngest licensed doctor in the country. People like him. So popular. Now, are you telling me Dr. Matt Strauss does not is, is not like a new 21st century Doogie Howser? Why shouldn't we trust that he's the Doogie Howser of Ontario? Why? Well, okay. So if you remember Doogie Howser, was he doing cardiac surgery? I think so. I think he was. I get that confused with the good doctor, which uh, the NFL games on uh, CTV have been trying to convince me to watch for nine years now, and it hasn't worked, but whatever. Now, so what I don't remember is what kind of doctor Doogie Howser was. There are two <laughs> different arguments involving Matt Strauss, and one is a simple one. He is qualified to be an interim medical officer of health only because the only real qualification is to be a doctor. You could have taken an allergist and given them the job in Haldeman, Norfolk, to be in charge of public health. You could have done it with a cardiac surgeon. You could have done it with all kinds of people who are not qualified to run a public health unit in any part of Ontario. So that's the first part, is that he has no public health experience. So when I say Matt Strauss isn't qualified, he could not, with his current level of experience, do the acting job on anything less than an interim basis, right? Like... Mm. It just it's illegal for it would be illegal for that to happen. He would have to yes, he needs education in public health in order to do this. This was a political hire. And that's the second part of it. Uh, a lot of people don't like lockdowns. I don't particularly enjoy lockdowns. They're not terribly fun, but they've been the public health intervention other than vaccines that has done the, the single most thing to keep our hospitals from blowing up in Ontario. Like what happened in the third wave? What happened in the second wave? When we finally got really, really serious about keeping people home, the cases dropped. Matt Strauss doesn't like lockdowns, and that's basically the only reason that he's been chosen, is that the mayor of Haldeman Norfolk County Council doesn't like them, and so they hired him. Again, he's, whether or not you think that uh, your local MOH should like lockdowns or not, there are MOHs in this province that don't. But the, the other part of this is that public health is more than just a lockdown job. It's not just a COVID job. It's actually a huge, complicated thing. And as one medical officer of health told me, our units have been destroyed. Our ability to do all the other stuff that we usually do. Like, what, what is, does he know the regulations are about adulterating food, right? I don't know. Probably not, unless he's just recently studied. There's a lot of complicated regulations. There's a lot of complicated statutory authority. There's a lot of issues that you have to deal with. I'd rather have someone who had responded to any sort of outbreak literally any kind than a guy who is only in the job because he tweets against lockdown. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, listen, it's one thing, um, you know, we're both in the journalism business. We're uh, active on Twitter. We've had our share of uh, <laughs> of, of uh, ground ground in a 643 double plays with our tweets. When you're the chief medical officer of health for a region, I think you got to avoid being uh, glib and insipid and suggesting you'd rather give your kids COVID-19 than a McDonald's Happy Meal because there's an element of reading the room. There's an element of tone deafness to that for families who have suffered either through a lockdown and, and are worried about their kids' mental health. Again, we could debate some of the parameters of a lockdown. My wife and I, that's about the only thing we are about is is how locked down we should be but when you tweet stuff like that um there's an insipidness and a glibness that i almost think disqualifies you from a public health position just plain and simple 
Well, like, just even think about the name of the job, right? It's public health. It's not public health for the people I politically agree with or disagree with, right? Like, these should these are nonpartisan jobs. And the thing is, lockdowns have become political because some people feel one way about them and some people don't. They're not an inherently political thing, right? It's it's a public health intervention to keep people safe. Again, nobody likes them. Nobody likes particularly living under lockdown. And maybe you like working from home. That's about it. Maybe you can hold that after the pandemic. But like this, this whole thing stinks. And if you talk to MOHs about imposing public health restrictions, most of them don't enjoy doing it, but they recognize the utility. And the fact that Norfolk Haldeman hired this guy, um, again, this is a repudiation to the very idea of responsible credentialing in a public office. This is a repudiation of the idea of public health itself. I don't think the people who hired him understood who he was, other than maybe the mayor. And I don't think that the mayor understands or appreciates what a public health Mm -hmm. official does. And again, public health has been turned to ash in this pandemic. Like people are burnt out. People are leaving. They're having real trouble finding staff. It's a lot like the medical uh, industry. It's the people who we've relied on most. And is he the guy who's going to rebuild that public health unit? Or is he just going to give tobacco farmers the ability to jam a bunch of people and a lot of migrant workers in a bunkhouse? Because that's basically the issue that I think he's getting put in place for. Bruce Arthur from the Toronto Star joining us on Toronto Today. I want to get to Alberta in in a second, but I want to ask you about the city's vaccination campaign. Um, they're pushing hard. They want to get to 90 percent. We could debate whether they're going to get there or not. I mentioned the brilliant Celine Gounder, uh, who put a study, uh, who, who quoted a study that said 3% of people that won't get a vaccine uh, in, the, in the United States, 3% are saying it's because of life circumstances, as in too many hours, um, geography, not able to get to an appointment. A lot of this is, oh, fear of needles is down the, on the list as well, but most of it is just, I don't believe in it. I'm worried about what it's going to do to me. I, and they're reading the wrong information clearly. Okay. But I, I, I think for most people, Bruce, what we're looking for is an off-ramp. And I asked Dr. Bogosh about this yesterday, and he said, I agree. The public health messaging doesn't give you an off-ramp. It's one thing if we move the goalposts because of Delta. That's one thing. But what is the off-ramp? I don't think anybody knows what happens if we even get to 90%. And that's really frustrating for the fully vaccinated people who are waiting and waiting and waiting for everyone else to catch up with this game. Yeah, again, this whole thing sucks, right? Like the thing with... I've had I've had that argument actually with anti-vaxxers. Actually, I talked about this at the hospital protest on Monday with one anti-vaxxer where they said, like, well, what about the next thing? And what about the next thing? And we're going to have to do this every year. And I'm like, yeah, we're not in charge. That's the thing with a global pandemic is it doesn't work to our schedules. It doesn't work to our lifestyles. And we are not in charge of how this goes. The accelerating rate of mutation of this virus is actually the scariest thing about it. The fact that it's gotten to something discontagious and dangerous with Delta in a relatively short period of time is not great. Uh, in terms of the vaccine, I think that the I think we can get to 90 percent. And I've talked to a few people who have who've kind of worked on this. A lot of it is outreach, education, and a small amount of it is convenience. But then once you add the societal kind of burden that you're going to get, like mm-hmm. one thing with a vaccine passport, you really need to reach out to disadvantaged populations in order to overcome any stigma that they're going to get out of that. Because they don't deserve to not be able to go to a movie just because it's a lot more difficult for them. Uh, to get a vaccine. But if you look at the numbers, the hardcore anti-vaxxers, you probably can't reach them except at the point of like uh, of saying you- <laughs> uh, of going onto a onto a ventilator. They seem to want it then, amazingly enough. It's amazing how that works. 
Yeah, I mean, and it's really sad. It's just it's a failure of kind of information society, media, and, and people themselves. Um, but most people can be convinced. And so if we get to 90%, we don't know what's going to happen. We know that for Delta, that would be enormously helpful for our public health, and therefore our economy, our lifestyles, all that stuff. But vaccines are basically scientific miracles. We didn't know if we were ever mm-hmm. going to get these. They have been given to billions of people. They are, by and large, incredibly safe, especially when you compare the dangers of COVID. So, like, you can convince people of this. Maybe not everybody, but most people. And that's important. Uh, Though you and I have broad interests and uh, broad um, expertise, I would argue. Uh, you, You know, people come up to you probably and they say, hey, sports guy. And they say that to me, too. And they're like, what what's going to happen? Um, you know, what's going to happen with the Blue Jays? So they, they're back tonight against Minnesota. Um, 15,000 seats. Now, they've gone to a fully vaxxed policy. They had three games against Tampa this week. I didn't hear of any long lineups. I didn't hear of any trouble. Now, I've gone to I haven't gone to a Jays game, but I've gone to two Canada soccer games. Masks. Um, no, when you get to your seat, you're eating, you're drinking a lot of the game. Um, th- there's no way to make people compliant with that. So if you're uncomfortable with that. All, and it's outdoor air. All I can say is don't go. But I, all, the argument I've heard is with all these games being massive, we got a massive Jays Yankees series close to the end of the year. Um, should the given that it's a fully vaxxed crowd, should the capacity be increased by fifteen thousand dollars, uh, fifteen thousand people for a wild card hosting playoff game against the Red Sox? Should that place be one third full? What would you say about it? I think fully vaccinated is the prerequisite to even have this conversation. And the fact that we don't have a working vaccine passport isn't great because people can probably do a lot of fraud when it comes to your, this is the vaccine I got piece of paper. Um, I will say this, what the people I've been talking to about why Ontario's fourth wave hasn't been as bad as we thought have pointed to a few things. One is mask and one is capacity limits. Mm-hmm. And the thing with enough people in a, in a place like the dome, it's not just you at your seat. It's you in a bathroom. It's you in a line for food. It's you lining up to get into, into the arena, right? It's you sharing a car down there. Now, fully vaccinated, again, will give you a certain amount of protection against that. Will it give you absolute protection? No, it will not. And that's the tricky part. Um, I think you could probably make the argument on the basis that right now we have not yet seen the impact on schools on daily case counts. But if we're going to see them, we're going to see them in the next week or so. Um, and maybe thereafter and thereafter. Um, so, like, the one thing with Ontario, though, right now, we're, you look at Alberta, Alberta's a disaster. This is going to be, in all likelihood, the worst pandemic disaster that we've had in this country. And maybe in, and maybe in North America, to be honest. Maybe. I mean, maybe. Flor- Flor- Florida sets a high standard. I give you that. But still. Yeah, like, in Florida, I mean, 1,500 people a day are dying. I know. For 20, for 24 people died in Alberta the other day. Like they're going to they're going to really damage their health system and their society at, at a really remarkable level in the era of vaccines. Right. In the era of, of, of lessons of the first few years of the pandemic. But like we're not Alberta right now because this government, maybe it wanted to take off the mask. So we didn't. And maybe they wanted to increase capacity sizes, but they didn't. Not not a ton. And so the one thing I would say is we're not out of this. Let's be careful. Mm. I would err on the side of being careful as much as it'd be great to see 50,000 people in the dome and watch this team like clobber somebody. That'd be fantastic. 
it's just not the most important thing right now, and that's probably my bottom line. On. I got about a minute. People are saying to me, you, you were covering it, traveling it. Um, I, I was all over it, obviously, uh, at, at the other place on the morning show. They're 16-3, and three, this group. They've, they've basically made a 500 season out of nothing and didn't have to sell off a ton of assets as they did in 15 to make this run. But I, I don't know. Do you feel like the response is a little muted? We're dealing with a lot more stuff in our lives. We don't have the same uh, life happiness and joy that we had in 2015 um does it feel more muted the idea of of this incredible race that they're on now well it's just it's harder to measure i think right because you can't get the the dome like the thing with the jays is there were nights when there were 12,000 there were nights where there were 50,000 right and when the jays were really good in those 15 16 years it was 50,000 every night mm-hmm. and the crowds were crazy and that was your best thermometer other than tv ratings well tv ratings are bouncing back you just can't see it like people are really excited about this team. If you like baseball, I think there is probably a little bit of there's too much else going on, mm-hmm. but yeah, like I think these guys are going to draw huge television ratings and a lot of people are going to care about them. And the best part, as you noted, is that this isn't kind of that, that team in 2015, 2016, it was still kind of the end of something. Yeah. Right? It would, they were a lot of guys in the back half of their career. These guys got a lot of guys who are young. This is the start of something. Bruce loved having you on. Thanks for doing this. Have a great weekend. Brady, my pleasure, man. Very excited to have our next guest on. We're going to go out west where we've been talking a lot about Alberta, a lot about restrictions, a lot about there's just a lot of Monday morning quarterbacking, uh, which is as important as as where we go from here. Uh, Shea Ganim is our friend and uh, host on 630 CHED and 770 CHQR, 9 to noon Mountain Time, which is Shea knows um, on a lighter note. It's just the best place in the world to watch sports, Shea. Five o'clock starts for seven o'clock hockey games. None of this Thursday night and Monday night football ending at 12, 15 a.m. Not a, it's perfect, right? I don't know how you guys do it out in the East. I, I'm actually a huge Boston Bruins fan. And uh, and like you, I worked early mornings forever. So I get the yeah. NHL game ticket or whatever it is. And I watch every Bruins game at 5. It's over at 7.30. I'm in bed by 8.30. It's beautiful. Uh, I, I don't know. You know, I think well, people out on the West Coast and they're waiting for hockey games to start until like nine o'clock at night. I don't know, I don't know how they do it. It's crazy. Not a clue. And Atlanta, Canada would be uh, would be even oh, worse. Yeah, crazy. Uh, well, listen. You know, you did the show on Thursday that um, that I don't want to do in the next couple of weeks, and that's having people react to uh, a real mea culpa from the provincial government and a slew of new restrictions. Um, how did it go? How are Albertans as a whole? Uh, what's the, your show's a great example for the pulse of your community. How are people? It's, um, it's still divided. There is a lot of division in Alberta and that's what got us into this mess, to be honest. Um, there is a small group of our population, probably larger than anywhere else in the country, I think. I don't think anybody would deny that, you know, with the lowest vaccination rate. There is a, there's, you know, I'm gonna call it 25% of Albertans who are really steadfast against vaccinations, against restrictions, uh, against what they heard last night. But you know, what's interesting is I've done the show over the last several months, you can see the tide turning because for a long time, the other group, that 75% who went out, got vaccinated right away and, and are all for making sure that we manage this properly. They're starting to get to a point where enough is enough for mm-hmm. them. And they're almost as angry as the people on the other side. Therefore, why do I have to be punished? I did the right thing. And now because of the unvaccinated, and that's what our premier tells us, this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Because of them, I'm dealing with all these added burdens. If you would just go and do what we've all done, we wouldn't be in this mess. So everybody's angry. Everybody's upset. 
I think you nailed it with with how fully vaccinated people approach this. And people have said to me, I'm sure they, you know, they, they get in on your show or they know you in the community. And they say, hey, listen, I'm not if you're fully vaccinated, why do you care what I do? And the example is obvious. It's the last 24, 48 hours. It's it's yes. what it does to our healthcare system. It's what it does to our schools, even with a I've got two fully vaccinated kids, one in high school, one in elementary school. I got fingers crossed that that unvaccinated kids, to be honest. And and again, admittedly, there's not a choice between five and 11. But I'm, I've got a fear that unvaccinated kids will send my kids home. And we don't do sure. we're not doing in Ontario or really anywhere in Canada what some progressive U.S states are and that's that's like a test to stay program where you can take a quick test you're fine you're negative you don't go home for 14 days like it would have been last year so you're right the the frustration we all want to get back to the a lot of us want to get back to the workplace and it's the same story there are we going to be able to all do it if we're if unvaccinated people are filtered in amongst us yeah you know and you make such a good point and i constantly hear it and i'm sure you do too from from listeners all the time saying well if you're fully vaccinated what do you care if i am you're protected. I thought the vaccine was supposed to protect you and we're in a position where ahs yesterday announced that all non-emergency surgeries all of them everywhere in the province of alberta have had to be suspended icu is so maxed they're talking about airlifting patients out of alberta into manitoba they're asking Manitoba, do you have any ICU staff you can send here to help us? Um, they're talking about that triage protocol, which I, I'm sure you've heard of, where they start to decide, okay, we have two patients in one bed. Who do we give it to? Um, so mm -hmm. you can talk about, well, you're vaccinated, you're protected. I'm not protected against a car crash. I'm not protected against a heart attack. You know, And there's, there's people out there who by no choice of their own can't be vaccinated. It's just so frustrating to hear people that can't see beyond the end of their own nose. Well, I'm young and healthy, it's not gonna bother me. Well, it could if you're in a car, when you don't have a functioning healthcare system, every single person in the province ultimately can be affected. And we're seeing it day after day after day. But as you know, some people, you just can't move them on this. They're just immovable. Shay Ganim's our guest uh, on Global News Radio, um, 640 Toronto and Toronto Today from 630 CHED and 770 CHQR. His show airs 9 to noon uh, Mountain Time in Alberta. Did If we look back at the summer, the stampede opening, and people are are excited and they're outside, I will tell you in Ontario, you, you'd remember here, we closed, we were the only jurisdiction to close golf courses and tennis courts. Absolutely, like... There are epidemiologists screaming, well, this is wrong. You're you're really hurting people. The weather just gets nice. They're getting vaccinated. They did what they're supposed to do. And you slam the door on all of us with ridiculous restrictions. But I'd ask if if in the summer it it felt good. We were kind of envious of what Alberta was able to do and pull off. Did did you have any kind of foreboding sense of doom about it? Depends on when you're talking about in the summer. When the mm -hmm. restrictions came off. I think, you know, we took a look at the cases and we took a look at where we were and there was no reason to have restrictions. There was no reason to have any of these sorts of things in place. And vaccination was going along very well. So I think at that time, you know, it did. It felt great. We were back to normal. Things were wonderful. Um, but as we moved through the summer and we got through July, and especially once we got into August, you could see our vaccination rate had stalled. And we were now starting to trail the country more and more every day. And you could also see that dreaded fourth wave starting to tick up. And we're going back six weeks. Mm -hmm. um, you could see what was coming. And that's when doctors and epidemiologists and virologists and ICU docs started saying, whoa, things are going in the wrong direction again. Somebody needs to grab the wheel. It was great while it lasted, but you need to throttle it back now because we're in a position where we can see this trend. We know where it's going. So a lot of the talk in Alberta now is, you know, from the people who said, I told you so. 
I told you so way back when in August, we could see what was happening. Um, why did you take so long? It's good that you did this, but it's too little and it's too late because as you know, the cases are still peaking. We had our highest reported cases on Thursday in Alberta in this fourth wave. I think we were about 1700 and something. Those cases will take time to trickle through the ICU. So even if the cases start to drop down again, the hospitalizations still ramp up for, you know, a couple of weeks possibly after that. So we're nowhere near the end of this. And probably what was done this week should have been done a month ago. And we mm-hmm. possibly could have avoided this. Shay Ganim, our guest on Toronto Today on Global News Radio 640 Toronto with Greg Brady. Um, the political hit for Jason Kenney. Some people are saying that's good to take accountability. You, you nailed it. It's too late. But it's a premier that says, I'm sorry. We've seen Brian Pallister do it. We haven't seen it a ton in Ontario. It hasn't been done in BC or Quebec. It's been less needed to there. Is there a uh, political price to pay for uh, for Jason Kenney or his health minister or Dr. Dina Hinshaw here? Yeah, uh, I think this could be the death knell for Jason Kenney. He's been hanging on by a thread, to be honest. And it's not just, I mean, if you take a look when he was elected, his approval rating in Alberta was over 60%. It was about 65%. He was riding high. Things were good. It's now down to about 30 the lowest rating of any premier in the country. So uh, if he had to go to an election today, I think he'd get routed. Worse than that, though, is there is a large chunk of his caucus, his actual party that he works with and meets with every day, who hate everything that he does whenever he takes a step towards Mm. restrictions or vaccines or anything like that. So he's fighting it from the inside and from the outside. Um, For him to do what he did yesterday is to go against a good portion of his caucus that said, don't you dare do this. They represent rural ridings. They've been very vocal, very public on social media saying, we can't do this. You cannot continue to go with restrictions. Our people won't have it. We demand freedom. Um, For him to take this step after he ruled it out in June to placate those people and say, we'll never have vaccine certificates to take the step that he took this week, I think is an example of just how dire things really are in the province of Alberta, because there's no way he wanted to do this because there's no coming back. It's a complete reversal. It's going to alienate a good chunk of his caucus and a good chunk of the base out there that supports them and wants their freedom. So he he did it. And I think he did it knowing it was at his own peril. Yeah, that's that's well put. Um, and he's got he's got the two years or close to two years, whereas yes. I can tell you in Ontario, Doug Ford, that clock's ticking and an election is about eight months away. Uh, so Ontario can't afford to go the way of Alberta and start, uh, you know, chaining down fully vaccinated people and fully vaccinated families and households. It's going to go badly. One more on the federal election. Um, and I thought about it when I was watching Premier Kenny, and I'm sure it occurred to you, is the impact now on Aaron O'Toole. Uh, and and voting federally next Monday. The Conservatives, uh, Andrew Scheer, was so popular out on the prairies. They won 30, 33 of 34 seats. I don't anyone. I don't think anyone thinks this is going to now leak to votes for Justin Trudeau in Alberta. I'm not that naive. No. But does it have any impact whatsoever on Aaron O'Toole in the province? In the province? No. I, I don't think it's mm-hmm. going to have that, that. I mean, we've got, if you think about it, in Alberta and Saskatchewan, there's not a single Liberal. They are all Conservatives except for one NDP in a riding in Edmonton. That's it. It's a conservative sweep. Um, So I think in Alberta, you might see one or two. There's some pretty prominent candidates running, um, one in Calgary and a couple in Edmonton that could pick up some seats possibly for the Liberals. Um, 
but I think the bigger implication is across the country because you saw it already immediately the next morning after Kenny's announcement, it mm -hmm. was a topic number one out of Justin Trudeau's month. Look what happened in Alberta. You know, Aaron O'Toole says he thinks Jason Kenny handled this well. Is this the kind of leadership that you want? So Trudeau was handed a gift in the final days of the campaign with the mess in Alberta. And I think that's another reason why it took so long for Kenny to come out. I think the Conservative Party of Canada was begging and pleading with him to just stay out of it. I mean, you've got, if you can make this last until after the election, do what you need to do, but please don't do this during the campaign and he was forced to because we're in a situation where our healthcare system is teetering on the brink so i think it was a bit of a gift for trudeau and um i, I don't know i was really surprised he wasn't in alberta immediately campaigning yeah. on right i mean it's certainly not the look the conservatives want last thing for a shade the ppc i can't get a read on it from alberta i look at it anecdotally um i see polls in ontario no one thinks they're getting a seat but there's there's some disruption there's certainly some disruption in in maybe uh, leaking some conservative votes away. What is what is the support like out there? What's it anecdotally when you drive around or or talk to people or people say, "Nah, you got to listen." There's a there's a platform here. There's a way forward. Um, they, they've certainly gained in momentum than two yeah. years ago. Anyone that wrote them off as a joke and said, "Well, that was a one off for Maxime Bernier." Well, they're here two years later. Yeah, uh, Mad Max was in uh, the Edmonton area last weekend held a number of rallies around town and drew big crowds. He, mm -hmm. he did quite well. A lot of people showed up. I think, you know, when you talk about conservatives losing votes, they're not going to go to the liberals or the NDP, obviously in Alberta, but they will go to the PPC. I think they could see a bump. Will it be enough to actually pick up a seat? I don't know. But I mean, if you've been following him on social media, he took the opposite approach immediately after Kenny's announcement saying, you know, um, Alberta has just abandoned the Charter of Rights and Freedoms and they're clamping down on you and we can't have this. So he's really appealing to the angry part of Alberta who doesn't think we need to do anything and shouldn't be doing anything. So and he's going to have he's going to have a receptive audience for that. How big it is, like I say, I think 20 percent max of that voter base. Um, will some of them move over? I don't know. Uh, he, you know how conservative politics works, right? Mm -hmm. They unite under Jason Kenney and then they fracture. And then they unite and then they fracture. We've seen it federally. We've seen it provincially. You know, you have two parties split the vote, realize, okay, we're shooting ourselves in the foot. Let's get together and we'll win. And they do. And then they start fighting again and they fall apart and we have two conservative parties. We're, we're just repeating that over and over again. So this is the beginning of it. I mean, it's different ideologies, but if you told a, uh, you know, a Mulroney Tory in 1990, um, you know, you're going to be voting for Preston Manning in a brand new party three years right. later. They wouldn't, they wouldn't have believed you, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it's taken some strange, twi strange twists and turns. Uh, federal politics has for the conservatives over the years. Oh yeah. Uh, this is the guy to listen to. This is the show to listen to out in Alberta to keep in touch with uh, what is going on there. And it has been an eventful week. Shea Gannam show runs nine to noon mountain time. You can uh, download the podcast. It's on six 30 CHED and 770 CHQR. Um, next time, things will be lighter. We're going to get out of this. We'll talk about a Bruins Leafs home and home at some point in the winter, and we'll both be smiles on our face. None of this doom and gloom. I know we'll get there. Can't wait. Can't wait. We'll do it. Okay, we always like doing what happened when on this date in history. I'm seeing among the uh, observances uh, and national holidays. Today, today is uh, national. Now, I assume this is in the States, but we should share this. National Table Shuffleboard Day. I don't know, Dave, or you, Rob Travison, if you've ever been somewhere with a an amazing table shuffleboard. Like there's like stuff on the table that makes the, the little discs like just sail down the table, but it's Salt. really fun. It's Salt. Salt. That's what it is. Really? Yeah. That's yeah. how you make it slide. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. I grew um, as a teenager. I had a friend whose parents had one in, in his basement. 
And so we used to play all the time. Oh my, amazing. Yeah, and it was salt. You couldn't put too much on or else those things would just fly. Or else the dog would jump up and start yeah, licking. Yeah, all that too. They've <laughs> got to be high enough because, yeah, they, like they played, there was a game called Rebound in the 70s and 80s that was a little bit like that, but it would bounce off elastics. I remember that, yeah. yeah. yeah it was yeah, like yeah, about 30 it was bucks. plastic, wasn't it? Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. But this, like I've been to one, there was one spot in London. Um, there was a London press club. And when we were at Fanshawe for broadcasting, we got to go there one night, and they had this just the best table shuffleboard thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, it's fun. You bounce it off the, you bank it off the thing, and then it's kind of like I didn't think there were bank shots. Yeah, there were bank shots. That's oh. how he played it. At least we played with bank shots. What a it maniac! Wasn't like straight curling, like knock stuff out. <laughs> it's not botchy or anything. Oh, okay, because I don't. I think real shuffleboard kind of. I don't know. You know. Like, I played that a bit as a kid, but now it feels like that's, like, for older people. I, I, I love curling, so... You, you, do you? Yeah. I'm no good at it. I can't... Oh, I'm horrible, but you're allowed to drink while you're doing you it. You do so drink. Yeah, it, it is a drinkable sport. <laughs> I didn't know that. Sport. I thought bowling was the only sport that allowed you to do well, that. Well, billiards... See, bumper pool, I always thought was overrated. I'm like, why don't you get a real pool table? That was a big 80s, 90s thing as well. Right. That bumper pool. I'm like, why do you want the all the obstacles there? Whatever. Did <laughs> <laughs> it, Dave. Uh, well... <laughs> Let's take a look at this day in history, September 17th, and some of the momentous uh, things that happened on this day. 1850 was the fourth great fire in San Francisco. So apparently the first three weren't that great at all. Not of the, No, and if you're a firefighter at that particular point in time... You're just like, again? Yeah. Like, this is going to take me all day. Yeah, it's true. Like, you have the first one, you're like, man, that was a, we'll call this the Great Fire. And then the second one hits, you're like, well, that's a little bit bigger than the first one. And by four, you're like, I'm packing it in. Safe to say fire prevention has uh, has just improved a ton, <laughs> right? Yeah. We've got a system, we've got phone calls, we've got ra- like I don't like think- GPS. I just, it's, it's come a long way in 160 years. I don't think we've had a great fire in San Francisco since then. No. No? Well, the Chicago, like, everyone hears about the Chicago fire growing up. They named their MLS team that, which I'm not sure if that's a great name if you want to take one of the city's great tragedies and say, that's the nickname for the soccer team. Yeah, good point. One of the great tragedies of all time. Yeah, moving, uh, moving up a few more years. 1911, that's when the first transcontinental airplane flight took place. Do you know how long it took to get between New York and Pasadena? Rob, you want to guess? Uh, eight hours. It's got to be way long. 15? 82 hours <laughs> oh and God. four minutes. The Can stress of it. No, the stress of it all. <laughs> That's insane. <laughs> Normally five hours now. Yeah, exactly. I always so. think about that. Like, when do you guys remember your first flight being as a kid? Were you? Did you fly as a kid? I, I, honestly, I didn't. I didn't fly yeah, until my, an adult. So. Mine was 84 to Italy. Wow. So that's... Were you scared? No. The first time? No, I remember just before we landed, I was really thirsty. Oh. That's all I really remember. Well, they should be bringing you drinks. That's well, they did. Not... Yeah. But um, I got to <laughs> feel like if you flew in the 40s, 50s, or 60s, you, like, weren't you just scared all the time? Didn't it feel rickety? And there were no <laughs> seatbelts. People are smoking en masse and probably getting up and down the aisles. Like, there wasn't the protocol that there is now. Yeah, I couldn't imagine flying in a plane with smoke. That's that, <laughs> like, having cigarette smoke just sort of hanging in there. That would have been awful. As a tiny kid, I remember smoke in the theater. I, I probably I saw a couple say, movies I, I before they banned that, it. Yeah. And I'm worried my dad was smoking, like, taking me to, like, Disney movies when I was, like, four. I'm like, <laughs> uh, I live to tell about it. 1983, this show first premiered on CBS. Can you remember this theme? From Hollywood, the entertainment capital of the world, it's the 1986 competition of Star Search. With your host, Ed McMahon. Oh, Star Ed. Search, Ed McMahon. 
So among the singers that competed on the show, Justin Timberlake, Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, uh, Usher, even Canada's Alanis Morissette uh, showed up on that show. So a long list of that. And that's just the singers. You remember they had comedy segment. They had dance. They had all oh, the whole slew of things. It was a great quiz. show. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the late Norm Macdonald did this great bit about some of the youth dance teams, and he's like, "Like, if you really like that dance team, like, would you wait for them to go on tour? Like, it's not, a, it's kind of something wrong with like a couple thirty-five-year-old guys yeah, going. Let's let's go see that dance troupe. They're yeah, really true. good. Are <laughs> they like coming? Are they coming to Toronto? When can I get <laughs> tickets? Nobody did. Nobody did that. It's just parents and friends. Yeah, it's true. On this day, nineteen eighty-four is when Brian Mulroney was sworn in as Canada's eighteenth prime minister. He succeeded John Turner. Blowout election. That's my yeah. recollection. Is watching it with uh, with my dad. We went over to a neighbor's house and watched it. And I mentioned the other day, Dave, like fifty percent of the popular vote. And that's no one's got more than forty two since. And that was Mulroney in eighty eight. Yeah. Like even John Cretchen is flirting with high thirties. You can't get half the the country no. now with how splintered we are in basically five to six major parties. It's probably a rigged election. Do you think so? It sounds way too. Come on. Well, have you well seen how are, there was Thanks. no Donald internet. Trump. How would yeah. you rig it? Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. No, it, no bots. No bots in 1984 messing it up. Nothing from humans. Russia or China. Just, just humans. humans. Yeah. This was a big day in music history, though, because on this day, 1973, that's when Billy Joel recorded Piano Man. Sing us a song, you're the piano man. This is, like, this is a classic, and it's lived on since then. Yeah, it's, uh, see, Billy Joel's entry point for me is more like, tell her about it, or pressure. Like, I always feel like that, like, you find out about a band in the 80s when you're living in real time, and then you go back and you find... Oh, yeah, like totally. only the good die young and piano man and I guess, actually, I probably heard it's still rock and roll to me on the radio when I was a really little kid. I gotta say I really don't like Billy Joel. Really? I've never been into Billy Joel. I and, think him you either really Elton like John. him or you don't. Him I don't think Elton there's a lot John. of middle ground. Yeah, there's something about rock pianists that just don't do it for you me. You don't like the Elton John either? No. <laughs> wow. No, no. I'm a ja- I'm a strictly <laughs> jazz pian- pianist kind of guy. Rob's a music snob, Dave. No. You can just you you walk in, you're like, yeah. What's that smell? What's that smell? It's a music oh, snob in the area. You gotta respect the talent, no? <laughs> oh yeah, of course. I'm not hating on the guy. Um, well, sounded just, like it. And, and it. I've given it a chance. Like I I'm sure I own some records by both of them, but I just don't. Huh. Don't dig it. Yeah. I'm more concerned that Christy Brinkley decides to marry you and you somehow mess it up. You can't mess that up, man. Also, we no. didn't start the fire. I think that that was my entry point. That's probably why. Oh. Oh. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> it makes more sense now. <laughs> I, might, I like that more than a couple of his uh, scenes from Italian restaurant. I like that more than sort of the romantic wow. village. Wow, wow. I learned you learned about history, Rob. Then, you know, something I, new in that song, uh, "Rock and Roller Cola Wars." It's true. It's true. I, I can't it, take it anymore. You learn things. I read about both of them. I think before I heard the music, and they don't seem like <laughs> great people either. So I just yeah. Yeah, Billy's uh, still touring, right? Seventy-two. And what I like, Dave, is what he does is he plays a uh, a show at Madison Square Garden like every month. It's like a residency. Oh, yeah. Yep. So like you know how some yeah. bands just go to Vegas, like like that's what Britney was I mean, doing. Good for sure, him. Yeah. Good for him to be able to do that. He can just like, no, he just yeah. drive and he drives from his house to the concert yeah, yeah, every yeah, yeah. like it's, it's who gets to do that? Yeah, exactly. Only Drake could do that really here. He's like play Scotiabank Arena once a month, drive from his palatial estate on. Uh, what the bridal path? Yeah, I sell it. I don't think he could do it every month, though. Oh, I think Drake could sell really? out a, 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 a show in Toronto month. every month. Yeah, he could. Guaranteed. You act like I just said Glass Tiger could do it. <laughs> oh, they could. And I like sure. Glass. Tiger. Let they me totally defend could. that there. Okay. Yeah, you and Alan Frew were roommates. That's right. Yeah. We're tight. <laughs> we both have fake Scottish accents. His is real. His is real. I'm not going to say that. 
Uh, out loud, I just did. There you have it, the Toronto Today podcast for September the 17th. Thanks for checking us out. We will be back live on Global News Radio 640 Toronto on Election Day. We'll only play that Arcadia song called Election Day five or six times, not seven or eight. It's great to have you uh, checking us out. Don't forget to rate us. Don't forget to subscribe. Have yourselves a great weekend, the final weekend of summer, and we'll be back with you on Monday. Appreciate you listening to us.